Cheryl, and we created this podcast as the Adult Leadership Advisory Board, or ALAB. Who we are in terms of ALAB is a group that focuses on issues, challenges, and difficult topics facing our community. We are working hard to develop educational programming, social tools, and fundraising initiatives to inform, include, and support adults with cystinosis, but ultimately anybody in our community, our friends, our families, our neighbors, and anybody that that might or might not be affected by cystinosis. We, as the Adult Leadership Advisory Board, are funded and work under the Cystinosis Research Network. For those of you out there who might not necessarily understand or know what cystinosis is, cystinosis is characterized by the accumulation of the amino acid or one of the amino acids, cysteine, within the cells. When the cysteine builds up in the cells, it often forms crystals and will sometimes attack certain organs and tissues, predominantly the kidneys, but also includes the eyes, muscles, thyroid, brain, pancreas, and testes. Previously, it was known that an individual born with cystinosis would not live past 10. It's pretty grim, and I'm sure many families out there were quite devastated when they had a newborn who was diagnosed with this disease, cystinosis. However, today we have members in our community living well past 50 years old. Hi, welcome to Cystinosis Rare Journey into the Unknown. I'm Steve Schluter, and with me today are Jana and Sarah Healy, as well as our guest, Carrie Hagman. And she's going to let us know a little bit about herself here. Hello, everyone. Like Steve said, my name is Carrie Heckman. I am a therapist in private practice in Seattle area. And I also have the pleasure of facilitating peer support groups for um, the Center for Chronic Illness, which is a nonprofit based out of Seattle. And I run three groups for the Center for Chronic Illness, a rare disease group, and then two groups for cystinosis, one, the, the peer group for cystinosis, and then a parenting cystinosis group. They meet the third Tuesday of every month. The parenting group actually meets every other month, and May is one of those months. So it will be on the third Tuesday of May at 2.30 Pacific time. And then the cystinosis group meets at four Pacific time. So love to have people join us. A little more about me, um, kind of how I got involved with the Center for Chronic Illness is that I myself have chronic illness. And so when I moved to Seattle, I was kind of looking up things in the local area and found this great nonprofit and heard that they ran groups and kind of introduced myself to the executive director. And eventually I was asked to facilitate groups. And yeah, I, my, my illness um, is a little bit complex. I, I think I have three official diagnoses, but, you know, I sometimes think, you know, maybe who knows, <laughs> um, but I do have Lyme disease and Graves disease, which is a thyroid autoimmune disease. And then I have something called Sappho syndrome, which is an autoimmune arthritis so I've been living with chronic illness most of my life. And so I just have a very, you know, empathic, um, 
view of anyone who struggles with um, chronic illness, but really rare disease is especially sometimes especially difficult because so few people um, to find community with. So I really enjoy my work with the rare disease community. Well, thank you. Um, so from a, uh, with your ba- background, when, when you, when you uh, see people denying that the pandemic exists, um, how do you, how, how, how do you, uh, how do you deal with that? Oh, we're, we're going right for that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's, it's heartbreaking, right? Because, um, people who um, live with cystinosis or live with chronic illness, you know, this year was, you know, near impossible having to stay in our homes and never leave and um, just kind of have a lot of fear and anxiety about what would happen in our specific bodies that have different types of immune systems if we were to get COVID. And so to see, you know, people denying that it exists or maybe knowing it exists, but minimizing it and saying we don't need to wear masks or don't need to get a vaccine if it's possible for them to get a vaccine. It's just been really hard to watch because it just, I'm not sure what's what's happening for people who who believe that way, but it 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 feels like a lack of empathy for people who are chronically ill. Um or older adults or, you know, different categories that were more at risk of having serious illness with the virus. Yeah. Yeah, no, for for sure. I, 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 uh, it does, it, it does seem like, like, uh, you know, you you hear about stories on, on, on the news from reports of of people who um, never thought they would get COVID-19 or that they're, family will get will get COVID-19 and and that and and um you know because of not having that ex- and s- experience with chronic illness before they're just in this state of shock mm-hmm. would be uh one um one way to convince people um about the chronic illness and that it uh it does affect us even with the vaccines. Yeah, I really wonder about that. What what would be a way to help people understand and kind of walk a mile in someone else's shoes? Um, and, you know, I do think the, the science community and the medical community tried their best, you know, to get the information out about how it what how it affects people who are more at risk and you know now we're hearing right that some people who um are maybe on certain medications you know with the vaccine might not be as effective and so I think the information is out there um I I really would wonder how to convince people who who minimize it or don't believe that it exists um I wish I knew that. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's just this year has just become so divided between people. Mm-hmm. We we let it get politicized when we really needed to focus on the people and 
you know, helping them out and helping them understand what it's all about and how real it really is. And it just, it got so messed up this year. People just didn't understand or didn't want to hear it or, you know, thought people, people were lying or, you know, it just was being blown out of proportion sort of thing. It's just frustrating. I, I so hear that, you know, I just think it could have been such a different experience for people with chronic illness. Um, even if it was just an understanding and a willingness to do whatever people could to, to keep the numbers down and keep people safe. It really could have been a different experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely believe that, that if it would have just been people caring about people instead of all the divisions that happened, that uh, we'd be in a different place right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's such a weird world because you can sh- you know, even even more so than it used to be, because you, you can. There's all these different ways we're getting our information, mm-hmm. um, and they're not always. They're not from one so- source necessarily, and 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 they each, with the algorithms that are put in place, they 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 kind of go after more what we believe is real instead of what's actually real. And, and and so it's it's gotten to the point where, where where he it's created like alternate universes for uh, for people about what's what's really going on and and what's what's uh, what's not going on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, what I mean really is real. I go on my phone and I I could be talking about something and it'll just pop up as an ad on Facebook or some (laughs) store or something, you know, that I was just talking about, or sometimes I just, I, all I was doing was thinking about it and I look on Facebook and there's an ad for it. So, you know, it's hard to tell what's real and what's not. And, uh, you know, it makes it even more difficult when, when that happens because people don't, I'm starting to feel like, people don't know what's real and what's not as long as it's on the internet it's fact and even you know even if you, you prove it to not be fact and you give all the things on what makes it false they'll be like well it was on the internet so it, it must be true <laughs> kind of thing so it's hard it's hard to uh talk, talk to someone like that especially about chronic illness. Well, yeah, it's hard to talk to someone who already has their mind made up and uh, uh, set and they don't want to hear an alternate exclamation. Right, right. And um, another thing I think is hard for people to cope with, especially with chronic illness is, I mean, when's this going to end? The, the COVID-19, is it, is it going to end or is this something that we'll have to deal with for the near future is, is something that, that I find hard to think about really because, mm-hmm. I mean, are we going to have to be wearing masks forever? 
Are we going to have to constantly worry about someone who doesn't want to wear a mask around us because they just they just don't want to? It's uncomfortable for them or they don't like it. And so you want to respect them and let let them be themselves. But, you know, at the same time, you want to protect yourself. Yeah, I think there's been just so much uncertainty upon uncertainty this year. And then you, you know, amplify that if you have chronic illness, um, you know, there was the uncertainty of when are we going to get a vaccine? What, you know, how long is it going to take for everyone to get a vaccine? Are people going to get a vaccine? Um, And now, like you're saying, you know, how does this guess next phase um, play out? And, um, and what does that mean for people with chronic illness? And is that different from people without chronic illness in this new phase? Um, And I think the uncertainty is just the really challenging thing when it comes to our mental health, um, because that can cause a lot of anxiety and, and a lot of not being able to um, be in the present moment and feel calm or relaxed because there's always this thing running in the background of what's going to happen. When are we going to feel safe again? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And especially for people with chronic illnesses, like, like me, yeah. I, I, uh, you know, I just, constantly on top of worrying about cystinosis I got to think about well is it safe to go here what about here should I wear a mask should I not wear a mask should I just stay six feet away will that be enough you know it's uh worry on top of worry sometimes and it adds uh it adds stress and anxiety to the situation when you're around people who don't get it who you know most likely say well you're vaccinated you're fine now but that's not the case with chronic illness and immunosuppressant or autoimmune diseases or rare illnesses our immune system is always going to be weaker even with a vaccine because of the drugs we take yeah and you know I think something that really helps and maybe you all can speak to this, um, but something that really helps when people have chronic illness is feeling understood. And I think this year has just really kind of shine a spotlight on how little people do under not understand what people with chronic illness go through. You know, even if we just think about the beginning of the pandemic when people were feeling really isolated, you know, a lot of people in the chronic illness community were talking about how, well, you know, we're pretty isolated a lot because sometimes we don't feel good. And so we are in bed and can't, you know, go see friends or we have to cancel plans. And um, just as a community, people can feel very isolated. And, And so there was this, like, for the first time, other people kind of seeing what that was like. But then that kind of faded, right? It's kind of like, oh, well, we understand for a little while, but now we kind of faded and kind of paying attention to our own lives and the thing that's going on for us. And 
it's so hard to just feel that misunderstanding of, yeah, just because something is true in your life, you know, I have these different circumstances and things are not that way in my life and having to re-explain it over and over again, uh, <laughs> gets a little exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I, I mean, mean, especially when you're in a job during the pandemic, it's hard to explain to people why you need to be safe at all times. Why you need to wear a mask, why you need to follow the guidelines and, you know, or you need to work from home because you guys don't have guidelines in place and I need to feel safe because of my chronic illness. You know, bosses or employees or employers just don't, sometimes don't understand that. Is there maybe a, a technique that, that you would recommend that we could use for uh, dealing with anxiety and stress and the depression that can come with being so isolated? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of, of different things to help cope with, you know, this year specifically, but also just chronic illness in general, um, or rare disease in general. Um, I say that with the caveat of I think it's, it is pretty individualized. There's this subjective experience of what works for one person might not work for another person. I, because I've been running these support groups all year, what I do find to be very beneficial about going to a support group or having a community of people who maybe have similar experiences, no one has the same experience, but people who have similar experiences, sometimes that can be the one place that you do feel understood. And when we feel understood, there's actually a, a chemical process that happens in our body. We release, you know, oxytocin when I think it's pronounced oxytocin. Actually, I've been pronouncing it incorrectly. Um, but when we feel connected to other people, we have this, this connection chemical of oxytocin and oxytocin actually counteracts the stress hormone, which is adrenaline and cortisol. So anything we can do to create connection or community with people who um, maybe also experience chronic illness is one thing that I think is really beneficial. And fortunately, you know, I don't know what this pandemic would have been like in the 1990s before we had, or even early 2000s when we just didn't have the type of technology to connect with people online. And so I do think that that's been really beneficial that people that we've been able to connect with each other, but from our homes in a safe way. Um, so I do think that that's one really good way to, to help with isolation and feeling alone and anxious and, and depressed, you know, just hearing somebody say, oh yeah, I have a really extreme, you know, a lot of anxiety when I see somebody not wearing a mask and just knowing that that's a little different than, than the average person can really help. And then things kind of outside of kind of the therapy or the support group realm, you know, is really doing what we can to um, engage in things that take our 
focus away from the stressors, but bring our focus back to present moment. So that could be, um, you know, for people, video games or, you know, creating something, art or different hobbies that people have or going for, if, if possible, if it's accessible to you to go on a short walk outside and, and be in nature. Nature is another thing that helps bring that oxytocin chemical because we have this really strong connection to nature. So anytime that we could be outside um, is going to help counteract those, those stress hormones in our body. So really the general coping skills that you've probably heard a lot about are, are really important this year, especially to, to try to find things to engage in that, you know, even if it's just for 10 minutes can take our mind off of the stress of having an illness during a pandemic, um, is going to benefit you. Yeah. I could talk about this for a very long time, but you know, if there's more specific questions or other things I can answer too. Well, uh, What techniques have you specifically used to deal with stress and anxiety? Yeah, what a good question. So me specifically, I don't know if I've ever shared this with people before, but my particular um, specialty as far as therapy is I'm a somatic therapist. So what that means is I practice body-based therapy. Um, So it's all about kind of what we can sense and feel in our body and how we can regulate the nervous system to feel calm or feel vital, you know, those positive feelings. Um, So I use personally a lot of techniques that I've learned through studying that, which um, probably the biggest one I use is grounding. Um, And actually later on when I do the meditation, I'll do a little mini, mini grounding in there, but that's really feeling my connection to the earth. So just putting my feet on the ground and then really feeling that sturdy, stable ground underneath me. Um, You can also feel that in like the sit bones and I do it through imagery. So I might imagine, you know, that I have roots in my feet that are going all the way to the center of the earth and it's keeping me connected. Or I might imagine you know, anxiety is a high emotion. So it's, it's, it's bringing us upward. So I might imagine like a light rain and just kind of move that sensation down and then meditation, which I will kind of guide us in later is, is something I use periodically. It's not something I use every day. And I think sometimes that's important to note is that I think there's a lot of information about there out there about in order for meditation to be effective, you have to do it every day for 20 minutes a day. And I don't know a lot of people who have that type of time or focus even to to dedicate to something like that. So even if it's just a minute every few days, any time you're able to sit and connect to yourself is going to be a benefit. And then I do like a modified yoga So like really slow movements and only movements that are accessible to my body. But I know sometimes yoga isn't something that's accessible to everyone who has chronic illness. And then I go on a walk every day. That's the one thing. And Sarah and Jana have 
dogs, um, but I also have a dog. So luckily the dog kind of is a motivator to help me walk every single day just to get outside, fresh air. It's kind of been my touchstone every day at three o'clock. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go on that walk. Yeah. So those are kind of the things that I've kind of gathered in my own practice, but you know, I'm not a Zen master. I watched a lot of TV. Um, I ate a lot of food that might not have been great for me. Um, just like we all did. And those things help too. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do some binge watching on Netflix. <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's, it transported us to a different place. Right. And yeah, yeah. that's good. I've, I've been, uh, watching like old like classic doctor who um like like going through like the, the the doctor who from like the 60s up into the up into the 80s which is fun <laughs> um what do you think is the most challenging thing you've had to deal with or you've seen others have to deal with in relation to chronic illness and the pandemic mm. Yeah, I would be super curious about your experiences with this question as well. Um, I think the one of the hardest things that I've seen is um, kind of the extra level of of isolation. Um, you know, I have the privilege of I had groceries delivered to my house because in Seattle that's pretty available and um, we were able to do that but that meant I didn't have that weekly trip to the grocery store where at least I saw another human um, who wasn't living with me (laughs) and um, so I think it's it was really that like cocoon isolation where every everything seemed to be a risk um, you know, that, that was what was for me particular, but I would be really curious about your experiences. Uh, I found it challenging to, uh, want to go and get labs done because you have to go into hospitals to do that. And yeah, you're wearing a mask and they do have hand sanitizer available, but you know, I just don't know. It's hospitals and germs. And then dealing with COVID, it's it's a little much sometimes. Yeah, Tra- traveling out of state, um, as well as like going like indoors, um, any indoors was challenging, especially during the very beginning when we didn't know anything. Like I like the very first day, I remember I. Yeah, you know, I was still working at Home Depot, um, and the world, the, the very first day that the World Health Organization declared it a pandemic, and and uh, immediately I, I was like paranoid about every single little thing around me, like like I, you know, like I didn't want to go near anybody, I didn't want to touch anything, I didn't want to like breathe near anybody. <laughs> um, yeah, and 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 not. And now, like, my uh, personal space has expanded dramatically compared to what it was used, what it used to be. 
like if 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 people even if they're wearing masks if they, if they get like like too close to me um cuz have their masks on. Yeah, it's it, it, it like it freaks me out. I, I get like uh, anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I, th- I think just maybe most most challenging thing is figuring out like how to move forward the way the world is now, and wondering if it's ever gonna be you know, closer to what it was before or if it's just going to continue to be different. <clears throat> you know, the, the unknown really is what, that's what always kind of bothers me in any, you know, whether it's, whether it's dealing with cystinosis or, or the, the pandemic, just, just not, not knowing. And it makes you think of like a million different situations that could happen. That's that's how I feel too. Yeah. Yeah. Ex- exactly. You can't can't really do anything about it. So I try. You know, you try not to think about it. So. <laughs> you, just do, you, just, you just do the best best that you can. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think um, for me, the pandemic, the hardest part was seeing how. Um, unempathetic people were to our community. Like some of them were, were empathetic and caring and loving, but then you'd come across others that were just, didn't get how anxiety ridden we were and paranoid we were about this and why we were that way. That was, that was the hardest part and I mean, still is for me because you can try and explain yourself to someone and they can just either slough it off or say, well, that's not how it is for me. Or I think that's what caused the most anxiety and stress for me is, you know, worrying about, am I going to catch this? How do I keep myself safe? How do I keep others around me safe? And then the added worry and anxiety of how do I make people understand this isn't going away for us. This is still a worry for us. Yeah. I mean, we have, sometimes we have visitors at the house and I'll, I'll wear a mask, but uh, sometimes people comment, well, you're vaccinated. You should be fine because they're vaccinated. I'm like, I'm still wearing a mask just in case. Because you've had, you know, because you haven't been in our house in a year or so, new germs coming into a clean environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's always a worry in the back of my mind. I, I, I think to some extent, um, in our in our situation, um, having more knowledge about medical stuff and science stuff. Can, can uh make it more anxiety and more and and like it's, it's the whole like ignorance is bliss then you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> like we know like we know that it takes a while to gather enough data about about you know illnesses and and, and stuff to really figure out what's going on um 
because <laughs> because we've lived lived that um yeah so, so, so having that that knowledge when, they, when even when they come off the vaccine you know the mind doesn't automatically go oh now i'm safe <laughs> you're not safe until the scientists know enough and know how it reacts with every you know different rare disease or chronic illness or side effects you know they're they're basically doing studies to figure all this out and it's it just seems to me like the people don't want to wait for the studies they just want to go back to normal and who cares what happens <laughs> yeah well you know it's because cause especially with like american society we're so there's so many things that are set up so that we get things like right now, you know, there no 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 delay. It must ha- must have this right now, and and and, and uh, so we got all these. So many people are trained like that that you know they expect stuff right now. They're like, oh, we, why why can't we have this right now? We can, we can have everything else right now. <laughs> this just reminds me of something. Yeah. One uh, one evening when I was going to pick up my dog Skyler from uh, being day boarded, uh, we have to wait outside and they they uh, see who's out there and then they go and they get my dog or whoever's dog and and uh, what ended up happening was I was the first one there I waved they went to go get my dog and this guy pulls up in his in his pickup truck and and he gets out. And he, he hurries out of his truck. He puts down his, his gate on his truck and he stands there for like one minute. And then he goes up to the door, which he's not supposed to. He's not even supposed to enter the building. And he rings the doorbell once and he waits 30 seconds. And then he proceeds to keep ringing the doorbell until, until, my, until they come out with my dog who starts barking at him because he's like blocking the doorway and my dog can't get out. So I have to go run up to the door and just kind of coax him with a treat to come to my car. So he doesn't like, uh, you know, bark at this guy, but it's, it's like you said right now, instant gratification, this second I'm here. So help me first kind of thing. Yeah. No, it's 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 the thing that that is terrible when when you're dealing with like customer service stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. What a job. Yeah. It's like I'm yeah. the most important person. Deal with me right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's. It's the mentality that that I see a lot now. Yeah, especially in a pandemic world, it's, it's oh man, deny not how are other people doing? Yeah, yeah, that that it does that does happen a lot, a lot. Uh, it, and again, you know, it's 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 like unfortunately, it's it's a lot to do with. Uh, just how our our society, American American U.S. society, particularly it is for, for the most part, you know, it's, it's yeah. focused on the individual and me, me, me. And there are always 
there are always people, there's still people in the society that are, you know, selfless and caring yeah. and loving yeah. and kind. And thank God for those people because it, it just, you know, I don't know, meeting those people actually calms me down sometimes when I'm going through a stressful day. But yeah. What about you, Carrie? <laughs> oh, say that one more time. What what am I answering? What are your thoughts on uh what we think about the the pandemic society we're in right now? About how people seem to be like, you know, me first. Yeah. But now there's less patience. There's less patience, less empathy, more me, selfish. I want myself to be first. Right. And I, again, you know, I don't, you know, I think we've heard, you know, that, that the United States is kind of this individualistic culture um, of kind of, you know, you got to do everything on your own. And, and we, we kind of lost that sense of what it is to be in a community and, um, you know, maybe this is where people with chronic illness kind of get it a little more than people who don't, is that we've all had to find communities out of, you know, needing it. Like, we, we needed to have communities. Otherwise, you know, you can't really go through chronic illness alone. Um, so out of necessity, we all had to find each other, you know, and I think the cystinosis community speaks so much to that and that it's, it's a, such a small community, but the closeness of, of people and that, you know, each other and um, it's so inspiring. And what if, you know, what if we were a society where um, it was about community and, um, you know, I always joke like, you know, if we had just been able to spend three weeks in our houses, <laughs> I know that's not the case. That's not how it works. But I, I joke about that sometimes. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's kind of this suspension of, of what the reality is. And, you know, as you were talking about, um, you know, kind of people thinking, oh, it's not going to happen to me, or I can kind of do whatever I want. And how that's different for people with chronic illness is that it did happen to us, right? Like we did, we were the, the rare people that, that these things did happen to us. And I, I think too, you know, I've spent time in a hospital, and I'm going to maybe guess that, that you've spent time in hospitals. And who wants, you know, nobody wants to be in a hospital when you've spent time in a hospital, like, you know, how bad that situation is. And I think maybe healthy people who've been fortunate enough not to have that experience just don't understand, you know, you really don't want to be in a hospital on a ventilator, not, not that I've been on a ventilator, but, you know, you don't want to be in a hospital for an elongated time. Um, and so, yeah, it's really, it's, it's, it's it, like, you know, I use the word heartbreaking and that's really what it is. It's, it's just heartbreaking that um, we couldn't have done just a little bit better job doing this together. And yeah, it's very frustrating, very heartbreaking. Um, and still is right. You know, we're still, 
we still um, don't know exactly what what's to come and we still need to keep our distance from people and we still need to wear masks and you know I do worry that that's slowly gonna be less and less the practice yeah, that's uh, my high anxiety and stress too. Like the whole, the whole unknown thing, and you know, well, my job, because we, I work at a hospital as a cook, so I was one of the first ones to get the vaccine because I'm considered an essential worker since I worked at a hospital. And we wear wore masks, started wearing masks right away. Well, what if that goes away and I don't? want to not wear because <laughs> I want to feel safe and I don't know I don't know when I'll feel safe again <laughs> yeah yeah I don't yeah something that I that I saw that I have been considering is um in the Lyme community somebody designed a sweatshirt that said please stay six feet away I'm immunocompromised and I never bought it I never you know but so many times I'll be out in public and just wish I had that um because people get so close I don't know right right yeah I don't I don't really understand why people don't have a good awareness of what six feet is but they really don't (laughs) yeah it happens all the time for me at at work uh because with the masks being on we can't hear each other talk so i'll be trying to ask uh head chef what i'm supposed to be doing and he'll be like what 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 (laughs) so i literally have this because on top of having a mask on he has uh headphones in so he's listening to music while I'm trying to talk to him and ask him what I'm supposed to be doing next but he can't really hear me because he's got a headphone in and he's got a mask on and I have a mask on and we're trying to talk to each other so I I can see the the struggle with the masks but you know I'd rather wear them on top of um you know because in the kitchen we actually have to be closer than six feet sometimes so having a mask on on really helps mm-hmm. uh, make me feel safe, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder when people with chronic illness, when, you know, um, when we'll feel safe without a mask. Um, you know, I definitely think we're always going to wear masks on planes, probably, and in public transportation. I, I don't know for sure, but. I do see that as a possibility. Um, well, I know I will. <laughs> well, yeah, the airplanes is recycled air. And, you know, last time I was on an airplane, I sat next to this guy who kept sniffling and coughing and oh. sneezing, like leaning into Jana, like, I don't want to be next to this person right now. And I'm like, just watch, just, just watch. I'm going to get a cold. I'm going to get something from this guy. Yeah, I was like, here's a Sammy like, <laughs> like trying to keep clean and sanitized away from the sky. And what happens with two days later, I get a bad cold and then I give it to Jana. Yeah. And then, you know, we all get it. 
I pass it around at work because, you know, there was no mask thing going on. So I got everyone sick at work because <laughs> I know who's running. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we always, when we, when we, uh, even before COVID, when we used to fly, we used to carry around uh, Clorox wipes and hand sanitizer. <laughs> and we would carry around Airborne with us. I don't know if you know what Airborne is. It's like those um, tabs that uh, it's like a vitamin boost. They disintegrate in the water and you drink it and it, uh, it boosts your immune system for like uh, 24 hours. Yeah, smart. Yeah. See, you were, you were ahead of, you were ahead of the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's either that or, because uh, we get sick so easily for some reason. All someone has to do is just cough in our general direction and we could be standing like six feet away and we'll, we'll get a cold in a few days. But now that we're wearing masks, we haven't really been sick. And I mean, I've heard or I've read articles saying that the, you know, the flu, the flu season usually spikes every year. Well, they said it didn't really spike this year. And I'm guessing that's because of the math. I think that's very true, you know, and I have heard, you know, even, okay, who knows what will happen with COVID as far as like a returning illness. Um, but if we could adopt in the winter mask wearing around the flu season. I mean, people get really sick from the flu too, especially people who are immunocompromised. So again, we can hope that, that people might consider other, other human beings, but we don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm half cynical. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm like half optimist, half cynical. Um, the, the cynical part of me thinks that you know, the only way that you could get people to keep wearing wearing a mask is, is is if you made it like a law, and 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 you and you made there be like a fine if they didn't wear a mask for a certain time time here, and even and even then some people w- would still break it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, but, I'm pretty cynical too. I I I don't uh, I don't know. Yeah. Even if, uh, I mean, um, even if they offered money, I don't think people would do it. There's, there's, yeah, there's definitely, you know, the, the 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 folks who make it a political issue. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I won't go too much into that. For, um, yeah, but yeah, that always that's that's. that's, 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 that's always been such a weird thing to me um you know something that was really hard for me and I'm I'm not sure if if you all had this experience but um there were a lot of people who would say that they had a medical condition and so that they didn't have to wear a mask in the grocery store and I again I don't know people's experiences but I know people with medical conditions really were scared and really you know were wearing masks um so that was a hard thing to watch you know kind of like you don't you don't know what it's like to live with a medical condition you know like and maybe you do I don't know 
but it, I'm a little bit skeptical, maybe cynical to use Steve's <laughs> word, but that was true. And I just, you know, for all the people who really do have medical conditions, it was just really hard to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true. And, and maybe they did and, you know, more than likely they probably did not. I know a lot, a lot of people use that excuse if they don't want to do something like wear a mask or, uh, I don't know, even, I'm sure even like jury duty, they probably (laughs) (laughs) make up some illness they have or something. I don't know. Don't want to do it, Itis. Another thing that minimizes the very real, very hard experience of people with medical conditions. Yeah. I think the hardest thing is when you say you have a rare disease or chronic illness, they don't think of it as you'll have it forever. They probably look at it as it's an illness that will eventually go away, but it's not going to go away. It's going to be here for our entire life, at least till there's a cure for any, or, you know, any rare disease or chronic illness. Yeah. And even if you get the cure, you'll, you'll still have the, you know, the effects of this disease up into the point where, where you get the, the cure, you know, all those, all yeah. those years. Yeah. Yeah. I remember sitting in one time with Sarah when she was talking to her surgeon uh, before her transplant and the guy was sitting there telling her, well, at least, at least now that you have this kidney and you'll be cured. And we both just kind of laugh at him and like, um, no, doesn't quite work like that. Yeah, we said I'll, I'll still, we'll still have cystinosis. The kidney isn't gonna cure that. I got a new kidney, so that helps, but I'm not gonna. It doesn't cure cystinosis. Yeah. He he was kind of embarrassed when we was explained it to him, but I mean, uh, if if only it worked like that, where you and just get a transplant and poof, you're cured. Yeah, and it kind of scared me that a doctor said that to me because, you know, somebody followed that advice. Oh, I'm cured. I don't got to take my pills. I keep me alive. Was he a new doctor? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He looked pretty young, so. Okay. (laughs) He might it have been like an intern or something, but it was just kind of cool to hear someone say that to us. Yeah. Why didn't we think of that? <laughs> uh, doctors are people too. They can make mistakes. It just makes you wonder a little bit. That's all. No, no, I, I, I would be feeling the same thing. I, I t- totally get it. <laughs> I'd want to, I'd want to be like, can you show me your doctor's license again? Like, yeah, yeah. yes. Yeah, I don't know if I want you operating on me. <laughs> you, you don't just play a doctor on TV, right? You actually went to real medical school. 
<laughs> no, don't get me wrong. I, I love me some scrubs, but. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was early. Oh, yep. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, I, I will uh, say our, say our goodbyes here. You know, th- thanks everybody for joining us. Carrie's just just gonna uh, do a meditation for us here. And, and thanks thanks CRN for sponsoring us. Yes, All right, Carrie, when you're ready. Sounds good. Yeah, so um, really excited to to lead a meditation here on the podcast. Um, you know, mindfulness is uh, just a really helpful um, way to cope with um, anxiety and depression. Um, I often use the phrase, you know, anxiety is in the future. So it's worry about what's going to happen in the future. And depression is, you know, sadness and regrets about the past. And mindfulness is all about bringing us to the present moment where, um, you know, it's just this one moment and the next moment and the next moment. And those things aren't as present Um if we bring our awareness to that. And so the meditation um, that I'm going to do today is about different ways um, that you can bring your awareness to the present moment when you, you know, notice yourself wandering into, um, you know, kind of that catastrophic or worst case scenario thinking um, or, you know, thinking, I wish things were different or I wish, um, that I had done something differently. So yeah, so we will start the meditation. So let's begin by finding your seat. This can be on a chair or a couch or on the floor on a cushion if you are able. Allow your eyes to close or if that is uncomfortable Allow your eyelids to close partway and soften your gaze. Once you find your seat, start connecting with the ground beneath you. Place your feet flat on the ground or feel your sit bones connecting with whatever is supporting you. Imagine your feet or sit bones slowly releasing any tightness and giving into the support of the earth. Now bring your awareness to your thoughts. Recognize that your thoughts will wander. It's completely normal. We are thinking beings with busy minds. Notice if your thoughts are in the future or the past and gently guide your awareness back to the present moment by listening to the sound of my voice. In this meditation, I will guide you through three ways to bring your awareness to the present moment and slow down your thoughts. The first is through imagery. 
Imagine in your mind any place you would like to go. It can be real or fictional, somewhere you've been or somewhere you'd like to go, anywhere you like. I'll give you a moment to settle on an image. Now explore this place in your mind. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you taste? Smell? And what can you touch? What are you curious about in this place? What parts of your place are the most vivid in your mind? Go to those places and explore them. Ask yourself, how do you feel connected to this place? What do you like about it? As thoughts arise in your mind, gently place them somewhere in your image. Maybe place them on a cloud or in the water. Maybe place them in the ground. Spend a little more time in your place. Now gently come back from your place and into the here and now. That place is always available for you if you need it. The next way to bring your awareness into the present moment is through sound. Tune into any sounds that you can hear right now. Maybe there's passing traffic or creaking of the floor or the wind outside or the birds chirping. Whatever it is, try and really listen. Finally, let's bring our awareness to the breath. Opt out if paying attention to the breath is not beneficial for you. Perhaps return to your image or the sounds around you. 
start to take slow, deep breaths into your belly. Allow your out-breath to be slightly longer than your in-breath. This helps your nervous system to calm and come into rhythm. If you notice your thoughts are more present as we focus on the breath, add a simple mantra. As you inhale, say to yourself, this breath in. As you exhale, say, this breath out. This breath in. This breath out. This breath in. This breath out. Continue for a few more moments. Before we close, return again to the connection of your feet on the ground and whatever is supporting you. Whatever you are going through, the earth is here to support you. Let's end our meditation with the words of Masaru Emoto. If you feel lost, disappointed, hesitant, or weak, return to yourself, to who you are, here and now. And when you get there, you will discover yourself like a lotus flower in full bloom, even in a muddy pond, beautiful and strong. Thank you for meditating with me.